Thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the Work Hard to Start Early podcast. As always, I'm your host, Joseph Hadaway. And today I am speaking with Lucas Thomas. Lucas is a financial planner with a heavy focus on retiring early in the FIRE movement. He is also the founder of RHM Financial Planning, where he helps clients with just about everything under the sun. Uh, on your website, you know, he specifically lists stocks, crypto, real estate, entrepreneurship, taxes, you name it. But how are you doing today, Lucas? I am doing fantastic. Definitely good to hear. You know, I gave you a, a brief bio there. What else can you tell us about yourself? Um, so basically, um, whenever I was in college, I never wanted to have a real job. So then I became a copywriter. Pretty much, I just read a book, How to Become a Copywriter. And I started charging $35 an hour because that's what the internet said. And people paid it. And that's pretty much how my entire entrepreneurial existence started was read a book, start charging people and they accepted. And then one day I was like, Hey, will you give me $50 an hour to do that? And they're like, yes, we don't care. And then I kept having clients at $50 an hour. And then one day I was like, can I have $75 an hour? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, well then can I have a hundred dollars an hour? Yes. And it just went there, there and there. And then one of my friends, he was telling me about real estate and that's how I ended up getting the real estate game. Cause he pretty much just told me, well, what if I told you, you could make four times the money with half the work. And I'm like, that sounds fantastic. And that's when I got my real estate license and I started uh, buying rental properties, fix and flips, uh, wholesaling the whole, whole nine yards in real estate all those years and years and years ago. I gotta say, you know, of everyone we had on, uh, on the show, you seem to have the most varied and arguably the most impressive resume too. Well, perfect. Um, well, it's, it's funny cause, um, I've been so successful, but I don't actually exist anywhere because, um, as an investment real estate agent and as a financial planner, I only ever really needed around 25 clients at any one time. And once you, once you get that amount of clients, you pretty much just shut off the, the, the faucet. Cause you're like, well, I can't even physically. Cause when you get an investment client, that guy will do 20 deals in a year. And it's like, why well, don't you have time to go like drum up more business when I got to go do the 20 deals for my 20 deals times 25 for my current client. So uh, that's pretty much why I have not, it's just funny. Cause I haven't actually existed in the last 10 years. However, now I'm here. <laughs> Hey, well, I mean, obviously it's worked out to say the least. Here we are, you know? Yeah. So jumping right into, you know, your work as a real estate agent, a real estate investor, you stated before the call, you know, you primarily invest in your local area, correct? Um, no, I do not. Well, I used to. So my history is I used to invest in Phoenix, Arizona, the major metro. So you got your Mesa, your Scottsdale, um, Glendale, pretty much anything in the majors. Uh, Apache, I'll even get into Apache Junction and sometimes Buckeye. Uh, but basically that used to be my uh, stomping grounds. And then when the uh, prices start skyrocketing, because I follow very, very, very strict. So as a financial planner and as a investor, I follow very, very, very strict formulas. And once those formulas don't work, I don't try to make them work. I just leave the market. So Phoenix doesn't make the whole Metro Phoenix makes no sense. So then I started moving down to Tucson and that used to be my stomping rounds. <laughs> and then, uh, 
I lost Tucson within a year because the hedge fund started buying there. And then I started buying an Albuquerque and then the same thing. I, after about a year, the hedge fund started buying Albuquerque. So uh, pretty much I, I moved from as an investor, you pretty much you pretty much take your formulas and you put them into economic markets where they make sense. So I'm going to most likely uh, follow uh, two different markets, which I'm going to go check out next week. And I mean, I even have some international real estate as well, uh, which was a complete accident. But what can you do? So just just because you brought it up, I know we were talking about this before the show, but or before we hit record, excuse me. But I do want to get into it. So your international real estate incident, what do you own and where? I own a dragon fruit orchard and an onion farm in Costa Rica. Which is one of the more off the wall investments I've heard of in the uh, just in general. Well, it's really funny, actually. I started researching it after I, re- I got a farm. It turns out um, the really rich actually love farms. They're, it's one of those weird, it's one of those weird niches that really rich people get into. I mean, if you look into it, uh, Bill Gates owns like almost 25% of the farmland in America for some odd reason. And he's actually the main supplier of, I think, McDonald's. Like there's an entire, imp- like, so his, one of his portfolio investments is just giant potato farms. You know what I mean? That's like, like the longer, the more, the more wealthy you become and the higher you get on the uh, portfolio system. Like, I mean, well, if you think about it, um, football teams are actually um, a part of like, a, they're almost like an asset class of themselves. You know what I mean? So it's like, I buy, I buy the jets because, Oh, that one I'm a billionaire and they let me and two it's an asset class that actually has a return. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's very strange as you get, as the higher you get on the portfolio system, the different, um, the different lines of business and the different niches that gives you access. For example, if you become rich uh, or famous like Brad Pitt or something, if you ever look, you're like, well, why does Brad Pitt and Antonio Banderas, why do they have their own uh, perfume line? It's because they're rich and famous and sexy. And then that 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 business line is is presented to them because they're celebrities. You see what I'm saying? So me, my me, I'm never gonna have a perfume line because no one's ever gonna be like, oh, that guy is rich and sexy and famous, right? No, so I, I will never have access to that niche. But it's just cool when you start looking into when you start looking into as 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 you start growing in your portfolios, the oddball niches you can what you can end up in. And I I'm just I'm just a purveyor of that portfolio building system where it's like, well, an opportunity is an opportunity is an opportunity. And I'm actually looking to expand. Um, I thought onion farm was silly until I realized it actually makes the most money out of all my investments. So I'm like, Oh, I guess I'm going to continue to be an onion farmer. I guess I'll just have lots of onion farms now. And yeah, I'm probably going to end up being the king of the king of uh, Costa Rican onions by the end of uh, two decades, we'll, we will see. I think everything you just said is uh, this week's marketing for this episode, starting with like who in the personal finance world would have their own perfume line. My vote's Dave Ramsey, by the way. Oh um, yeah, exactly. But that's the thing though. It's it's literally an asset class of its own, right? Because, but it's weird. It's the same thing with clothing lines, right? Why did why does Mary Kate and Ashley get a clothing line? Exact same thing. It's just asset classes presented to different to different um, uh, you know 
uh, celebrity systems and yeah it's fascinating it really is and i it's something i've really heard to me people talk about in the past um because i mean as someone such as myself of course i'm well under a million net worth i mean buying farmland or anything it just just doesn't sound possible from where i am much less you know a perfume line or a clothing line that just no one's putting my face on a t-shirt like you said but as you get more and you unlock more more is available well yeah and then i mean that's what i mean i started in i started as a landlord in crappy neighborhoods and once i own 30 apartment buildings once i own 30 apartment buildings you know i make all my cash flow you know and then with the pandemic run everything everything inflated by like 100 percent. so then my net worth literally quadrupled in, in in like a year you know what i mean and then i ended up cash out refining all that stuff and it's funny as you as you grow into the portfolio it's like oh hey hey farm farming it's an asset class that rich people buy oh cool and then and even me i'm only 33 so even in my journey even in my journey in uh, i'm only in i'm only i'm only mid swing in my journey and essentially i'll let you you guys should have me come back and i will tell you the different asset classes that open up to me as i get wealthier you know what i mean <laughs> hey I'm, I'm all here for hearing about it that's for sure uh we're still getting started on this show and i plan on doing it for a long time oh perfect uh moving though back into you know like your domestic holdings here in the u.s you mentioned you're going to see two new markets outside of arizona how did you or how are you going about identifying these markets um pretty much the way i did it is i so i'll tell you how i got into albuquerque so um i started in phoenix and then when i I, so whenever you locate so if you're trying to do uh wholesaling or becoming a landlord you always got to make sure the laws make sense so the number one is you got to find states that are landlord friendly or at least fix and flip friendly because you'll find a lot of them aren't uh, the Northeast, you have to be very, very careful with, um, California, obviously, um, you can get a tenant who can live there for free for years. And the government just assumes that you're rich enough to eat it, I guess. I, I don't, I don't know how they, I, I would never buy a rental property in California because their laws just, their landlord laws just fascinate me. I'm just like, so, so they could just live here for free. Right. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm supposed to pay my mortgage. They're like, yeah. I'm like, so how do I, how do I not get foreclosed on? That's not our problem. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay, okay, I got it, got it. And that's why I don't buy there, okay? So then Albuquerque, though, when I was buying in Albuquerque, I uh, I called real estate agents. I called um, the local apartment buildings. I figured out what average rent was. I figured out the trajectory of rent. And then it turns out Albuquerque is actually one of the 30th. It's 30 on the most populous city list, city list. So um, as I started researching, as I started researching, I'm like, oh, well, then I should go for cities the hedge funds haven't been to based off high population. So if they have high population, they most likely have um, they most likely have a housing shortage. Therefore, you should go after large populous, large populous cities with housing shortages where the hedge funds haven't been because the prices are still low. And I pretty much just went through every, I went through 300 cities, uh, the 300 most populous cities in America. And I pretty much, I pretty much ran the numbers on all of them. And there, I only found like three states left that either the hedge funds haven't been to, um, the landlord laws are pro landlord 
And pretty much they made like they followed my formula system. Other than that, other than that, it's it's a free for all because like for a perfect example, it's like Colorado. I wanted to do Colorado, but Colorado is just it's like uh, you were saying right before uh, the call uh, that in Tampa, it's like, well, these things are half a million dollars. And it's like, well, you can't rent those for $5,000 a month. There's no cash flow. So what are you supposed to do? Same thing with Colorado, Washington, California, Texas. There's just the, the price just like the numbers just don't make sense. And before we get any further into this, um, and I'm sure you can talk about this probably more than I can. Uh, you've mentioned several times getting into cities where the hedge funds aren't for anyone listening out there. It's unaware large hedge fund companies like, uh, or even real estate companies looking at like Zillow, BlackRock are buying up massive amounts of single family homes and across or you know, consumer real estate across the country to either flip or rent out. And they're buying outbidding everyone completely in cash. Part of what's driving the current real estate market. Yeah. And I'll give you two horror stories for you. Um, horror story. Number one, Texas, there was a brand new build. Um, it was a subdivision, single family homes. Like a, it's like a suburbia, right? So like every it's single family homes, 7,500 square foot lots, you know, white picket fence. So the developers were building it. And then the hedge funds bought the entire subdivision cash and they converted them all to rentals. So, um, and what's even worse is then they turned around and they can, they're converting these things into REITs, real estate investment trusts. So if you don't know how those work, they're, uh, they're tax, well, they're basically tax avoidance shelters. So what happens is once these rental properties go into these REITs or these real estate investment trusts, they never actually come out because if they go out, they lose their real estate investment um, tax advantages. So a lot of these properties were never going to get back, which is just absolutely horrifying. And here's another horrifying thing. Um, Zillow lost almost, I think it was half a billion dollars. They lost half a billion dollars with their Zillow flipping program. Well, it, because, you know, you can't use algorithms to sell houses, apparently. Go figure. Um, but here's here's the horror part, or here's the horror story part, is when they offloaded all of those houses, they sold them to another hedge fund who just bought them cash. So it's like, and then they just convert them all in rentals. So it's like, so it's like, even when these guys fail, there's just a giant monstrous hedge fund who just replaces them. You know what I mean? It's absolutely horrifying. And that's why I'm, 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 I'm scampering from state to state to state, trying to find uh, these investments before the hedge funds get there. I mean, understandably so. I mean, you and I, I mean, you pretty much no individual that I know of, except maybe Bill Gates. You, you can't outbid them. There's no way. Well, yeah, because, well, they get their money. So the thing is, is um, the, the interest rates just went up. So now normal people can't afford houses anymore. But you know who's still buying? Those hedge funds. Because they don't care what the interest rates are because they're getting prime rates straight from the federal government and they've bypassed the entire um, conventional um, mortgage system. So they are completely outside the system and they're buying all these things. So they're borrowing them as like corporate loans and then they're convert and they're using them as cash to purchase everything. So it's, so it's, it's, you're competing with people who are getting like next to no interest rate buying stuff cash and they're converting all those to rentals. And that's what is causing the current, uh, housing crisis. Isn't that fun? <laughs> So fun. Favorite thing to hear about and talk about for sure. 
Right. Well, it's funny. It's well, I mean, that's I mean, I've been a landlord for 10 years and I've never seen anything like it because it's like because I thought I was safer. I thought I was safe because I do lower end neighborhoods for most of my rental properties. And I always thought I was safe. I was like, oh, the hedge funds are scared of these neighborhoods. They'll never come here. I mean, they're buying some of my apartment buildings for like a million dollars. And I'm like, but it's the same people. It's the same crappiness, no change. And they're given like quadruple the money for them. But either way, let's let's not talk about sad things. Let's talk about happy things. And actually, I, I do have, you know, one more question kind of for you on the topic. So mm. we talked about it before, you know, you've got two, two or three states you're going to these hedge funds haven't invaded yet. So would you say for an individual real estate investor, it's necessary now to look outside of your own stomping grounds, your own home turf, maybe? Um, it depends on where you live. So I think uh, you're from Alabama, correct? Uh, originally, but uh, living in Florida now. <laughs> oh, well, Florida is probably done. Um, if you were going to invest, you might want, I mean, I think Alabama would be fine. Um, I can't remember why I bypassed Alabama. I think the population wasn't for the cities and the population wasn't high enough, but I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but you should definitely, you should definitely check out your local market. Cause I think Memphis, Tennessee is still fine. Um, like there's still, there's still a long list of places the hedge funds haven't been. It's just for me personal. So my personal formula there's only three states left for my personal investor system. However, however, if you want to invest in yourself locally, there's no problem. Like if you live in like some of the Southern states, um, even parts of Texas, you can probably still get away with being a landlord. I mean, as long as, I mean, we don't, this isn't the time or, or place. I could tell you all the different formulas that I use that you could pretty much, you could pretty much use to purchase. But I mean, as long as you don't live in the major, like the major cities, and you'll know if you live in a hedge fund city, because all you got to do is Google uh, prices last year to now. And if they're triple, then you're in a hedge fund city. <laughs> Quick and easy test. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, like, cause that's what happened to me. We used to be able to buy in Phoenix, used to be able to buy single family homes for a nice single family home for 300 K now, now a nice single family home is 600 grand just that's the average now which is crazy to say the least with eight eight nine percent inflation too on top of it oh yeah well we were actually trying to me and my wife were trying to actually go and buy uh, a single family home and i'm like it's where and it's from the 60s and it's a block it's 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 cinder block and it's it doesn't even have a garage and they want how much 375 for that no, <laughs> like, like I even tried to get into the market and I just scoffed and I'm like, nope, we're staying. <laughs> I guess we're stuck in this house until uh, the tsunami rolls over. Hopefully. <laughs> till, the, till the tsunami. I like that. So, you know, moving outside of, you know, your real estate career and like you said, happy things only. <laughs> so on your website, you talk about the fire movement. What got you into that? Um, so I'm independently wealthy. Um, I haven't had a job. I haven't had a real job since I was a Walmart cashier. Um, God, I was like 19, 20 and I was fired. Like I, 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 like that was my last real job. I was a, I was a major national retailer cashier, 19, 20. And I got fired after six months. Um, they said I was too gloomy, obviously, <laughs> which is funny. If you ever go to major national retailer, you meet their cashiers 
I mean, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of the saddest, it's one of the saddest jobs making things go beep all day. But, um, yeah, anyway, so that's, um, so in my illustrious career, that was my last real job. And then it was the copywriting, real estate, and then the financial planning. And I, I haven't had a boss in the last 10 years. I haven't, I'm the only one who cuts my own paychecks. I sleep in if I want to take a nap. I mean, right now I just had a baby. Um, she's 14 months old and I mean, she's downstairs sleeping and I get to watch her grow up. So, uh, and I, so I'm, I'm not only, I'm not only pro fire movement, I'm a part of the fire movement. And I can assure you, you know, making your own hours, making your own money and, um, being able to watch your kids grow. It's, 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 it's something I would like other people to experience. You know what I mean? Cause I remember being that sad major national retailer cashier making things go beep for $10 an hour and having to go on welfare because uh but then it turns out you don't you make too much money so $10 an hour is too much money according to because I'm originally from Pennsylvania so $10 $10 an hour is too much money so when they do give you food stamps they only give you about $35 because $10 an hour means you're too rich to be on food stamps. And I'm just like, fantastic. And then, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, and that is why I am pro fire movement, my friend. Crazy how life changes, how far you come. I mean, that's what, 14 years ago, making things go beef. Major national retailer. The now multimillionaire real estate investor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, if anything's gonna if anything's gonna motivate you to become a multimillionaire real estate investor, it's being a major national retailer cashier. I can assure you, because you're like, there's, you, there's no that is bottom. You you gotta keep fighting. We're not going back to cashiering, man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked about this, but uh, my first or uh, not first, my first college job though at nineteen twenty was uh. I made things go beep, and I know you don't have this in Arizona, but a smaller regional retailer. Any of my listeners from Florida will know exactly what I'm talking about. Joy. And, and like you Is said. Is that like a Sheets? Is that like a Sheets or a, a Wawa's or something? Uh, no, it's it's just pretty typical grocery store, honestly. It's just a oh, nice Florida chain. I think they've expanded a little bit on the East Coast. But oh, I mean, nice. Like you said, you know, you make things go beat for low wage. You you stare at unhappy people all day. Something in your mind clicks like, wait a minute, this isn't it. <laughs> <laughs> I will do anything. Well, because I didn't I didn't even own a car at the time. So I used to actually take the bus and uh, I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And the only the only way to uh, the only way to get to the major national retailer was an hour drive. So I used to do an hour commute to the major national retailer have to walk a quarter mile because the bus stop doesn't stop out major national retailer. So I do I, so every day I would do an hour, hour and a half commute and I would walk a quarter mile to the major national retailer. And then I'd have to commute another hour and a half and, and walk another and, and, and like, or I have to walk the quarter mile back to the bus stop. And then I, yeah, so I did that for six months and they were wondering why I was so gloomy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it's, find something you know no hate on anybody doing it definitely big respect for the service industry but been there done that don't want to do it again 
Oh yeah. Well, no, they, they got like, well, I'm a, well, I'm from Pennsylvania. So we're a pro union state. So our, our grocery stores are actually unionized. So I, uh, I'm from like, so because so giant Eagle is unionized and people are like, wait, your grocery stores are unionized. Oh no, we're, we're, we're crazy in Pennsylvania. We're all, we're all unions. Like everybody's a union. So it, and me coming from that state, I'm also a, a heavily union person because I like taking care of my workers. You know what I mean? Cause better workers make more money. Because uh, it turns out miserable people don't make more money. It's just a just a weird rule of thumb I found with being an employer. <laughs> and I, I do want to ask you about this. You know, as being an employer, a lot of the listeners to this show are entrepreneurs, budding entrepreneurs, and some of them I've even talked to some people on here getting ready to hire. What what do you do, or what do you find keeps employees the happiest? Um, well, usually the way it works is, um, so you have to have, uh, good pay or at least the living wage minimum minimum is you have to have a living wage. And then on top of a living wage, it depends on, you know, you have to have the proper, um, health benefits, pretty much you have to have a full package where they can pretty much exist. Um, cause like I said, I came from the major national retailer people I came from, like my, like I said, I only had two jobs in my entire life, right? Two jobs in my entire life. Job number one was I was a sandwich maker at a large national fast food chain, which I was also fired at, but because I was too sad. And then, uh, that major national retailer cashier job. And after that, it was literally my only two jobs I ever did in my entire life. And then, um, and then, uh, but, but back in those days, uh, you'd have to have three jobs just to have a living wage. And it's like, how do you, how can you expect anyone to even like to do, like, you can't even, you can't even raise your kids on three jobs. You know what I mean? It's like, cause the rural, cause in Pennsylvania, the minimum wage is still the federal minimum wage, which is $7 and 25 cents. So for me, it's like, give them a living wage. I mean, I shop at Costco. I won't shop at major national retailer. Because, you know, see, I'm an ethical purchase person, so I won't shop at major national retailer. Won't shop at major national retailer. Because those people are known to just mistreat their employees. And I shop at Costco. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pro Target. And it's just because it's like, hey, they, they get better pay. They do. They give better benefits. So it's just like, I mean, and, and it's not like you have to pay them a million dollars. It's just you have to find out what's what makes sense for them in the uh, economic system that you're in. So obviously, if you have a low cost of living, then obviously you can give less, which is more. But then if you're like California, then obviously you have to give $150,000 an hour or $150,000 a, mo- a year. But then somehow you still make less money than the uh, the minimum wage worker in Pennsylvania. I, I, like I said, like if you really want a fun day, just try, just try to figure out the economics of California. Uh, it, it absolutely fascinates me. It's like, how can you be poor while simultaneously making $200,000 a year at the same time? It's absolutely fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. It's definitely a different world for sure. And I got to say, I can't wait until we get off of this call and I get to go look at my fiance and go, Hey, did you know you can get fired from a job for being sad? And just see her reaction to that because I didn't know that. Oh no, it was actually really funny. They're like, they're like, it, it's really funny when they're firing. They're like, Luke, um, you're kind of a, you're kind of a Debbie Downer, you know. You're you're kind of kind of making everyone feel bad. I mean, I mean, I understand 
I understand the job's not that great, but I mean, we're, we're a family here. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm making $10 an hour. I, I have $35 in food stamps, which I used to buy the rotisserie chickens. Cause that's the only thing that's considered a meal that you can buy for $5. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, it's like, well, if you say it like that, Luke, it sounds sad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. If you said it like that, it would be sad. I guess I'll say it the right way. I make a decent wage for my local area. <laughs> oh. and Major national retailer. Is a, is a good, is a, anyway, I need to stop talking crap about. Major national retailer. Otherwise they're gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up in hot water somewhere. <laughs> I'll start adding bleeps to the episode and editing. Don't worry, we got it. Oh, good. Then let's <laughs> talk more crap. That, no, no, no. So, I, I will say I think we have sidetracked further on this episode than I ever have before. But I'm here for it. Um, oh no, I, I I fully apologize for that. I am a tangent person, and it's probably why I'm a good salesman. Because like, what will happen is is you thought you're like I'm supposed to be here for an hour, and then we'll end up talking about ten other different things. But they're all fascinating things that are really fun to talk about. And then it's like, hey, dude, where'd the day go? And I'm like, ah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, you want to sign this contract? Yeah, yeah, okay, it's fine. Fifty million dollars. Okay, cool. All right, have a nice day, sir. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that to segue to start getting us back on track a little bit. Um, Good. I, I think, uh, you know, you've got a really good point there. I mean, being able to, you know, talk and be friendly and relatable is such a huge point in the sales process. Oh, yeah. Well, well, it's fun for me because when I used to be a property manager, because I used to run a multi-million property management company, because um, when I, the way, the way I made all my money was I, not only was I was a landlord, I was helping other people to become landlords. And I helped a lot of my landlords house hack. That's when you buy a fourplex uh, with a primary home loan. And you live in one of the units and then you just don't tell the other three tenants that you're not the owner. And then you have them like, and like, you basically have to be like the secret squirrel tenant um, who's not the owner while simultaneously evicting and collecting rent from your neighbors. It, it's a, it's a very beautiful thing. So uh, yeah. So I used to, I, 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 I actually, I'm still training people right now on that because people seem to really enjoy that one. So uh, yeah. It's an interesting concept. And I will say, I am not a homeowner. Look to be hopefully by the end of the year at this point, probably looking in 2023. And I mean, house hacking is exactly what we're looking at. I will say as a first time home buyer, you know, you're doing good work. Guidance is what we need. Oh yeah. And like for a guy like yourself, I mean, in Tampa, I mean, just buy a fourplex, live in one of the apartments and uh, just get a PO box, a Google voice number, and just, and just hire a real estate agent who moves in those tenants. And once they're in, they never meet you and they just they just text the Google voice number and they'll never know you're the owner. You're just, and if you ever talk to them about the owner, it's like, oh yeah, I hate that guy just as much as you do. And that's why I used to do. Talk to you, Nate. Did you hear he's raising rent? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> the side conversations. Yeah, man. I heard he's raising rent. What a, what a bastard. Yeah, those are the good old days. I don't do that anymore. My wife won't let me. She's a... Uh, She's a, she makes me live in a nice suburban, suburban home now. And I hate it, but what can you do? The sacrifices we all make for love. I know. Well, the funny thing is, is well, I'm such a rambunctious guy. Like I like, I like kicking in doors and I like, well, cause, cause I was in the army at one point, which we're not going to talk about at all, but like, but that like, like that was what I did after major national retailer. 
that's actually what caused me to like, that was like before college, there's the whole army experience. And then there's that thing. And then that's not a real job though, because a real job you can be fired at. So that's why, uh, so that's why uh, I don't, I don't equate being in the army as a real job. So. I'm just going to say, you know, two things like you, you are making this so easy for me when I start dividing it into like shorts to put on like YouTube and like TikTok and things. Uh, These are going to do great. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm memeable. Uh, here's <laughs> Lucas Thomas, the, the memeable, the memeable financial planner. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of these days I'll just actually, and it's what's even worse is I'm very, uh, I use my hands a lot. So like, if I ever, like if we ever do another one of these, you're just going to turn me on. And next thing you know, it's just going to be like me, like, like using my hands to like overemphasize all my points. And it's just like, look at this memeable financial planner. And then I'll become viral. Dude, don't do that to me. I don't want to end up on CNN as the viral financial plan. Oh God. Anyway. I was going to say that if you're ever in the Tampa area, let me buy you a beer or something because we keep getting into these tangents. Now I would like to hear more than we have time for now. Okay, perfect. Well, I mean, we can do another episode, do a two-parter, my friend. Anyway, what, 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 we got to stay on topic. See, yes, here's yes, the problem. Sir. I'm a very aggressive, mm-hmm. like I'm a very aggressive human being. So you got like, you got to be, you need to be a lion tamer and keep me on, on, on point or I will run off like and eat somebody. You need to keep me on point, my friend. All right. We're going to get right back. So fire movement, hundred percent of what we're talking about for the next 10, 15 minutes or so. Perfect. So you sounded like, I mean, to me, correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, but it sounds to me like a lot of the purpose of fire to you is control of your own time. Exactly. Control of your own time and not having to like being, having the ability to negotiate the life you want. Because uh, for example, if you make $7 and 25 cents an hour and you don't have, you can never make uh, emergency funds. You can never make your Oh crap funds. You can never have the ability to create um, savings. You can never defend yourself. So when your employer tries to take advantage of you, you have to do it because you financially can't lose that job, especially if you're in the rural parts of the country, which is where I grew up. And I used to see it all the time where it's just like, we'll go find another job. And it's like, there are no other jobs. And even if there are, it's like, they're not great. So it's like, and everyone's on paycheck to paycheck. So I think it's more, it's more about having more time, but able to negotiate the life you want, because we, without any money, you cannot do the things you want to do. Hell, you can't even negotiate with your boss for a pay raise. Cause he, you might, you, you might up on his crap list and get fired the next day. You know what I mean, it's, 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 it's an ugly system. And that's why I, for me, for being a financial planner and the whole point of my website and the whole point of what I'm trying to do with my life now is to help people get into the fire movement because then you like, it's I'm not even saying you have to retire at 35, right? You don't have to retire at 35. You can work, but you're going to do the job you want. I mean, I'll take one of my buddies, for example, I got a buddy named Fred, right? The guy is like your, he's like your stereotypical used to work terrible jobs, nine to five has a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. He's falling apart. Right. Um, he was like that for years. And then I put him into one of my fire systems. Now he owns two fourplexes. Um, he just quit his job and he's just like, you know, you know what? I don't, I just don't want to work for a year. I think I'm just going to, 
move to Vietnam and teach English. And that's what he's going to go do next year. And that's, it's just like, it's just like, what? It's just like, yeah, it's because he literally went from the stereotypical average human being to, oh, wow. Now, now that I have this extra income, I can dictate and negotiate. I don't have to take ever. I don't have to take the crappy Amazon job where they treat you like an animal. I don't have to take the crappy Walmart job where they treat you. They treat you like a nobody. You don't have to take the crappy jobs. You can, you can hold out because some, because you can, you can create income. You know what I mean? So it's like, and there's a million ways to create income. Uh, but th that's pretty much what the fire movement is about. And for me is creating a system where you can negotiate the life you want and you don't have to deal, you don't have to deal because because everyone's about more time, but no, it's about having, being able to position yourself to negotiate the life you want. You know what I mean? I really like your story about, you know, your friend who's going to Vietnam or went uh, to Vietnam for you. I mean, he's able to do that because he has the means to do so. Yeah, because he has that passive income. He's got that passive income because he just has a property. He's just going to have a property manager because he runs them himself right now. But he's just going to have some property managers run it for him. And then he'll get mailbox money. And then he'll, he can just teach English and, you know, he'll just get his money in the mail and he'll just hang out. And the thing is, I don't think he even wants to buy any more rentals or do any more investing. I don't even think he wants to do it because he's just happy with where he's at. He's like, you know what? I don't even... Like, I just want, this is what, this is it. I'm just going to pal around. And he's only 34. So he's basically semi-retired and he's only 34. You know what I mean? Which is 100% the goal. I mean, whole point of this podcast and a lot of what I do online is fire movement education. Similar to like you said, I'm not quite a financial planner, but similar, similar goals. Oh, yeah. Well, basically, you just need to figure out that way and you don't even need that much money um i'll give you an example all you have to do is eliminate your monthly rent payment and do and i'm not saying you replace it with the mortgage payment you have to completely eliminate your monthly rent payment and you can pretty much achieve fire within a few years if you don't mind i'd like to dive a little you know deeper into that let's let's take someone such as myself you know i'm, I'm 24 you know, even people a little younger, what, what should someone in their 20s be doing to achieve fire semi-retirement by, say, 34? Well, here's what you need to do, because I started this when I was in, I was like 23, 24. Um, and I pretty much, so I'll tell you exactly what I did in the last 10 years. So I became a real estate agent. I mean, you don't have to be a real estate agent. You can get a salary job. You just need a half decent job where you can create a, create a uh, like savings and just funds and you need to just not spend any money and you need, I mean, I'm not saying you gotta, you gotta go full Turkey and go full nuclear and be like, well, I, I, I only eat ramen. Don't do that. Cause then you'll have medical problems by the time you're 40, you might not even reach 40. Then, then you have to retire by 34 cause you'll be dead by 40. You know what I mean? No, I'm saying is, what you need to do is you need to budget everything that you do, and then you have to save a certain amount of money to invest in something that makes mo that makes sense, right? So what I used to do is I used to make my money, and every time I made that amount of money, I would buy an apartment building. And depending on where I was at in my life, I would either house hack it, where I would buy the fourplex and I would live in one of the units, or I would have 20% down and I'd invest in and buy it with an investor conventional loan, right? So. I'm a real estate rental landlord type. So that's just my entire existence. So 
um, as I as I became wealthier, every year I pretty much would take all my excess and put it into something and something else that makes money. And then as I did that, I transferred that into the onion farm, for example. Like, and that's just in. I've been following that model for the last ten years. You basically, it's not that you have to. It's not like you have to save millions of dollars. I mean, if you can get a down payment, like for yourself, my friend, you, if you could just get three and a half percent with an FHA loan, you can buy a fourplex apartment building with an FHA loan with 3.5% down. And 3.5% down means you could buy fourplex all the way up to half a million dollars. So let, let's just, let's just, let's just humor me here. Half a million times 0 0.035. So for only $17,500 down, you could buy a fourplex. I mean, obviously there's gonna be closing costs, but I mean, that's, that's all it takes is 20, 25 grand to buy your first fourplex. And then you just eliminated rent. Not only did you eliminate rent, you can actually get, you should be able to uh, pocket five, six, $700 after, after, after the other two tenants Two tenants should probably cover the mortgage and then the other tenant is pretty much free and clean and then you don't pay rent anymore. And like, imagine how much different your life would be with just that one purchase with 2025,000. 20, I mean, insanely 500 a month invested, you know, like I said, five, six, 700. That's, that's a game changer, man. That's 8,400 a year at 700. But that Plus, I mean, though, it's like, I mean, <laughs> like, and then, and then when you move out, Cause let's just, cause you only have to live in these for about a year or two. And then what you do after that is uh, you then can buy another property, right? And the one you actually want to live in, you can buy the, the one you actually want to live in. You go buy that one and then you convert it into a rental. And now you double your income. So now you're making almost 1800 or you're making like, let's just say you're making 1800. Uh, let's just making, let's just say you're making an extra 1500 a month. That's 1500 times uh, 10. Cause you lose two months to taxes and insurance and all the other, and then maintenance. So you only really get 10 good rent months, but even 1500 times 10 is 15,000. You know what I mean? That's 15,000 a year. That is like, that's the poverty line. You now a year make what people on the poverty line make. Um, and you now live in a house and then, you know what I mean? And then you can just use that. You can use three, four hundred, five. you know, you can use that. You could even use that money to offset your mortgage where you want to live now. You know what I mean? And that's pretty much what you're doing. You're leveraging your past to your future. Yeah. And, you know, I'd even go as far as say you're making an income snowball. Kind of exactly. It, it, keep, it keeps compounding. Exactly. And then, and then, cause what I did was I bought, um, I bought a crappy condo. I lived in it and then I rented all the rooms. So I was a live-in landlord for a time as well. I'd highly advise never be a living landlord unless you're you have like balls of steel. Just don't, just don't ever be a living landlord. It's awful because you have to evict your roommates, and if you don't have the gall to evict your own roommates, like then you don't do it. But um, I, I'm a mean, I'm a mean guy. So I, I, I that's how I got my, uh, that's how I, that's how I made my bones was was uh, basically uh, being a landlord of my own buddies in my own house. And then, and then I bought a fourplex, then I bought another fourplex, then I bought another fourplex. And then, then eventually all those, all that cash flow I made, all those fourplexes, I was able to cash them out. And then I was able to buy properties in Albuquerque and Tucson 
Um, I was also able to get that uh, onion farm. You know, I was able to, because the onion farm wasn't doing well when I got it. So I, I was able to use that extra income to get the uh, onion farm in full operation. And I mean, that's what it is. It's all about that cash flow. It's all about eliminating those uh, those initial costs in your daily. And for me personally, the the, the biggest drain on the average person in America is rent. If you could eliminate rent, you immediately get back almost a third to half of your income. And just think what you could accomplish with that. You know what I mean? <laughs> to say the least, a lot. Um. That's what I mean, though. It's just like, it's like, it's like, see, that's the best part about buying a fourplex, right? Because then you get the cash flow at 600, but then you also get to keep all of your income. All of your income from your job is now your income. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not being... It's like being, it's like being pursed out by a landlord. You know what I mean? I hear you on that. Yep. So coming up on the last couple questions in the interview, uh, and we have now stayed on track for a little more than 10 minutes. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, in your opinion, do you find that, you know, like real estate is the best asset class to help people fire, you know, faster, easier, or dividend stocks, I, index funds, whatever else, crypto? <laughs> I believe real estate is the only way to achieve fire that doesn't involve luck because i mean crypto it's like you got i mean you, you should have been in dogecoin when it was worth zero 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 three not three cents you know what i mean like like the guy from uh oh man uh not berkshire hathaway goldman Sachs, one of like their major directors ended up quitting because he was like one of the initial investors of uh, Dogecoin. He ended up, he ended up making like a billion dollars like a day. And he's like, I quit. And he just left like, and, and like, and like, like, like it was like one day he's like, God, I'm gone. So like I said, but hundred percent of that's just luck. You know what I mean? Like with index funds, there's no, there's no, like, you know what I mean? It's not like, unless you're, unless you're like an amazing stock picker, which they have, they have researched so heavily that you just can't be a good stock picker. Like it's just, unless you're like one of those people who's like, has the CEO of Apple, uh, Tim Cook on your speed dial, then obviously you're not going to know what's going on at Apple to make that price shift. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, unless you have some sort of in, there's really no way to achieve fire in my opinion in those, uh, and those asset classes, pretty much any asset class that normal people sell you on, you just can't get rich or you can't achieve fire because there's no cash flow. You know what I mean? Like the real estate creates cash flow. So unless like the only exception to this is if you came into a lot of money, let's just say you came into an inheritance and it, you bought a bunch of real estate investment trusts because those pay out dividends, but then you're just, you're just paying a ton of money into these REITs, so therefore you can get that cash flow, which is very, uh, which is like a pension. So it's all about getting that cash flow. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that all these other asset classes are useless. No, they're great. If you have no use for your money for a minute, then obviously they should hang out in stocks because then they can make money while it sits. But I mean, but otherwise it has to go somewhere to create cash flow. Otherwise it's like, I mean, just because you buy a stock and it goes up 10% a year, it's like, congratulations in 50 years, you'll have, a, you'll have $5 million. 
but sadly you're already you're already 85 and you know dead and dying so it's like it's like why yeah, yeah. it goes back to me being able to watch my kid grow like i'm not gonna be able to watch my kid grow using those asset classes you know what i mean i definitely hear you on that um and last no question of the interview process uh on your website you mentioned that you can retire tomorrow why haven't you or do you feel that you are retired no so um I don't retire because as you can tell, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not a retire person. If that makes any sense. You can tell I'm more of a dude, let's go do more cool stuff. Like, Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go make this farm in Costa Rica, make more money. Hey, you know what? Let's just buy more farms in Costa Rica. That would be fun. I'm more of a investing for me is just so much fun that like this, like even if I was retired, I would still do this kind of stuff because I mean, I literally flew in from Costa Rica. I was in Costa Rica for a month and I just came back about two weeks ago. And then I'm going back to Costa Rica in another two weeks. I'm going to be there probably for another month because um, we're harvesting onions right now. And I want to see, you know, it's fun to just be like, that's where all my money goes. And then they, and for some weird reason, the government there just pays you in, they don't pay you in checks. They pay you in large, like, bags of money and it makes no i mean it makes me feel good uh, until i'm like dude that's about fifty thousand dollars in cash in a trash bag why do you guys pay people like this and it's just like costa rica man i'm like hey whatever i'm not i'm not you know when in rome i guess but for me personally um i'll just never i'll never really retire like what is retirement you know what I mean? Like, what is your thought of, I mean, well, actually that's even better. I'm going to ask you a question. What is your thoughts of retirement? You know what I mean? I, I like, you know, the way you're saying, you know, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Um, and I actually, I think just put out a uh, article on our website about this work hard, retire early.com. Um, you know, retirement, it, it's not an age. It's a number. It's that moment that I control my own, my own time, my own day to day and my own freedom. And I choose what time I get out of bed, what time my alarm goes off. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you can just take a nap in the middle of the day. When when I get to make those choices for myself, I feel that I am retired. Yeah. But I mean, for me, retired is more like, it's like, I just don't want to do anything anymore. And I just want to travel. So, I mean... I mean, I guess, I guess, it, I guess it's our definitions are, are, are different. So for you, it's so, so for what you're saying, I feel like financial independence is what your version of retirement is for me. Retirement's like, I'm going to go do nothing in like in Malibu or uh, Costa Rica and just hang out on a beach. And that's all, that's all I do now. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I could definitely agree with that. I, I'm definitely more on the, on the fine mindset. I mean, I, can't imagine getting up and not doing something. I get too fidgety too fast. Exactly. So for me, it's like, it's like retirement's my retirement's more of a mindset where it's like, I, uh, for, well, as a financial planner, retirement is when you, you know, you're getting up there and you've already, you, you got to start uh, estate planning. And that's something I do as a financial planner is estate planning. And that's like, okay, now that I've created all this wealth, how do I keep the government from taking it in taxes? And how do I make sure that my kids don't squander it all away and they're poor? And the, the, that's half the battle of estate planning. And we could definitely, you know, do a whole another episode just on estate planning. That's a whole thing in itself. You know, moving into the, you know, my closing questions for the interview, same things I asked 
absolutely everybody I bring on. Um, first up, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me at rhmreal.com. Um, it is, it stands for right-hand man, uh, real financial planning. Um, so just RHM real and that's real, like real, real estate, uh, .com. Uh, you can find me there and then you can find the day one financial planning. So for guys like yourself, who's 24, how do I achieve fire by the time I'm 35? Um, financial planning for when you're in your thirties to fifties. Cause once you're in your thirties and fifties, you're not there yet, but eventually you'll have a career or you'll have a job that makes really decent money. And it's like, well, I don't want to do that forever. How do I convert that into, how do I convert that into uh, passive income so I can retire? I can retire anytime within my thirties to fifties. Cause a lot of people, they waste away they waste, they waste all their money in those years. And then instead of having a golden retirement, uh, they have a, uh, I guess an iron retirement. And then also I do children's financial planning. So when you, uh, so when you have kids, how do I pay for that college? Which is super expensive. Uh, and then I also do the golden years, which is your fifties to your hundreds. And then I do the estate planning. So pretty much I can help. I help people financially plan their lives from uh, cradle to grave, um, from when you when you just start out at your twenties to when you're uh, on your deathbed in your hundreds, and uh, definitely needed every step of the way. So I agree. It's funny. Um, it's funny. I didn't even know financial planning was a job until uh, until like two or three years ago, and then it. And then I'm like, oh, it is a job. And then I started looking into it. It was just really funny because it's just like, oh, it is a job. And they're like. It's this. I'm like, oh, I've been doing that for years. Um, ha. Well, okay. And then, and then, and then that's how I ended up becoming a financial planner. It's actually very similar to when I became a copywriter. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I've been doing that for years. I, I, I should just read a book on it. And I guess uh, and pay, they'll they'll pay me how much an hour to do that? Fantastic. Count me in. <laughs> hey, whatever works is what works. Yeah. And that's why I, uh, that's why I tell people, if you want to be a solopreneur, you want to be a salary person. Um, and the best thing is, is, uh, even if you're a salary person, if you have that extra income from whatever your investment is, then you can, you're not afraid to ask for that raise. You know what I mean? You're not afraid to ask for that promotion. You're not afraid because finance, because they don't have you in a, they don't have you in a vice grip because you were bad with your finances. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's the key is this goes back to my having enough money to negotiate the life you want, because it's the people like you, if you can't get in a good position to negotiate because of your poor financial decisions or because uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, then you have to, you have to make, you have to put yourself in that position. So like I said, it's more of a, I have to get myself in a proper negotiation or a proper position so I can get the life I want. Amen to that hundred percent. And uh, last question of the interview, what's, uh, what's next for Lucas? Oh man, I am going to fly out to do two different States. I'm going to get a rental car with my brother and we're going to drink a lot of beer while simultaneously, well, not the, obviously not at the same time, but we're going to drive aimlessly through these cities that I've never physically been in. I'm going to drive from house to house to house with real estate agents. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm going to drink a lot of beer and uh, 
be excited about this new uh, landlord market I'm going to get into. And then I'm also going to go down to uh, Costa Rica, check out my onion farm, make sure it makes me all these big piles of money. Plus, it turns out there's uh, I'm actually getting into Airbnbs right now as well. Um, we could probably do an entire uh, we can probably do an entire podcast on that because it's an extended stay model and not a hotel model. So basically, you don't take any bookings under four days and therefore you're getting better clientele you're getting like you don't have you don't lose money on the constant churn and burn you don't you don't get bad reviews because you know you only need that cleaner once a day not twice a day and not seven days a week um and then also the people when, when when they're in there they're there either for work or for something unrelated that's not vacation, which is amazing because then they're not as, uh, you know, brutal on the, well, this toilet paper isn't soft enough, Luke. And I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. Go buy some Charmin's. Uh, uh, like that is an actual Airbnb message I have had to deal with once. And I, I love it. It's one of my favorites. But anyway. Yeah, I think we're going to need a, we'll have to talk a few months down the line and get a part two of this episode because it's, I feel like there's a lot we just haven't dove into. Oh yeah, my friend. Like, well, cause I do crypto, I do crypto, um, crypto, all sorts of real estate seller finances. Um, it turns out that in Costa Rica, they don't have a very good lending system and most of the people are too poor to purchase anything down there. So everything's cash or seller finance. So therefore you can pretty much sell her. If you don't know what seller finance is, you pretty much just convince people to take low down payments and then you give them a monthly payment. So you can buy Airbnbs down in Costa Rica for these down payments. And then you pay your, you pay your monthly mortgage, but then you can pocket 10 grand a month on the Airbnb uh, income. Like I said, there's a million ways to make money. You just gotta, you just gotta build your portfolio. I hear you on that. Yeah, I'll definitely re- reach out to you again. And I mean, I guess it's April now. We'll talk in there probably October. We will. Thank you very much for uh, coming on the show, Lucas. Really enjoyed talking with you. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joseph. Um, uh, glad to have been on the show. If anything else for me, just uh, give me a holler. Yes, sir. Will do.